Welcome to the Shift Gold Friday Gold Wrap, your overview of this week's precious metals news. It's Friday, March 15th. I'm your host, Mike Meharry. Thanks for tuning in. Well, this week in the world of political theater, Congress voted to overturn Trump's border emergency. But don't you worry. There are apparently still plenty of emergency situations for the government to attend to. 32, to be exact. Seriously, did you know there are currently 32 presidential national emergency declarations in effect? And here I was just living my life as if everything were normal. Anyway, it's been a topsy-turvy week for gold. The yellow metal climbed above 1300 then dropped below 1300 and then in early trading today, it was back above 1300 again. Gold has been under considerable pressure due to dollar strength. In fact, it hardly reacted at all to some pretty grim economic data that I'll get into in just a minute. The greenback got a boost earlier this week on news that the trade deal may be coming together slower than anticipated. Trump said that the U.S. is in no hurry to get the deal done. But as usual, the president is sending mixed messages. He also said negotiations are moving quickly, so who really knows? Gold's rise this morning seems to be primarily driven by mounting concerns about a slowdown in global economic growth that is driving some safe haven demand. Now, the dollar got a big boost late last week with European Central Bank Mario Draghi announcing that there would likely be no interest rate increase in 2019. This came as a bit of a surprise. Most analysts were expecting the ECB to start pushing rates up this year. The euro fell about 0.7% against the dollar on the news. Now, we've talked about the Powell pause. Well, we can't really call this a Draghi pause because the ECB president never even got started with interest rate normalization. The ECB just shut down its program of quantitative easing in December after creating 2.6 trillion euros, that's $3 trillion, in new money since 2015. The last time that Draghi and company raised rates was in April 2011. We talk a lot about the Fed's easy monetary policy and how it has blown up huge asset bubbles and created all kinds of debt. But the U.S. Central Bank certainly isn't the only player on the board. The ECB and the Bank of Japan have also been all in on the easy money game, and they're not alone either. This explains why we have massive levels of global debt. Speaking of debt, U.S. consumers set yet another debt record in January. Borrowing increased by $17.5 billion in the first month of 2019. The increase pushed overall consumer borrowing to a new $4.3 trillion record. That compares with $3.84 trillion in January 2018, and that is a 5.1% annual increase in consumer debt. Now, this figure includes credit card debt, student loans, and auto loans, but does not factor in mortgage debt. Revolving credit, which is primarily made up of credit card debt, rose $2.57 billion in January, pushing total American credit card balances to $1.06 trillion, trillion with a T. Non-revolving credit, which includes borrowing for auto loans and student loans, was up by $14.47 billion in January. That comes on the heels of a $14.42 billion increase in December. The talking heads on the business network spun this as 
good news. As Bloomberg put it, the data suggests consumers are still willing to borrow, with activity propelled by the strong labor market, higher wages, and tax cuts. Now, I got to be honest, I don't really get this. If Americans are working, earning more, and enjoying the benefits of tax cuts, why are they running up their credit cards? It seems just as likely they are charging it because they can't make ends meet. And here's the real question. What happens to the U.S. economy when the credit cards get maxed out? I mean, at some point, Americans have to pay back all of this debt. You can't borrow indefinitely. Analysts look at borrowing and say, great, that means GDP will be up. But all you're really doing is borrowing growth from the future. An economy built on debt isn't sustainable. If you've run your credit cards up to the limit, you know this well. Bloomberg also noted that, quote, the Fed's patience on raising interest rates may encourage lending, end quote. (laughs) Well, duh, of course, that's the whole point of loose monetary policy, and it helps explain the Powell pause. The Fed simply can't raise interest rates to anything resembling normal, with Americans making payments on over $4 trillion in debt. Jerome Powell took his message to mainstream television last week, reassuring us that everything in the U.S. economy is great. The Fed chair did an interview with 60 Minutes. Now, Peter Schiff talked about this in a podcast this week, and I think he hit the nail on the head. He was blunt as only Peter can be, saying, quote, he's out there to lie to the American public on 60 Minutes. He's trying to reach a broader audience by going on 60 Minutes and telling everybody that there's nothing to worry about. Everything is great. But there's plenty to worry about. Peter's right. There are only two options here. Either the Fed chair is absolutely clueless or he's lying. And I doubt the man is clueless. He's just trying to sell excuses to justify ending interest rate normalization. So he's out there talking about worries about global growth. Look, like I said, there's plenty to worry about right here at home. Now, I've talked about the crappy retail sales numbers on the show before. We actually got a little bit of a rebound in January. And the media fell all over itself telling us how great this was. But here's the thing. They actually revised an awful December number even lower. And of course, the February jobs report came out uh, last week. It was way below expectation. The estimate was for about 181,000 new jobs. The actual number was 20,000. It was the fewest job gains since September 2017 when major hurricanes temporarily curtailed employment. Meanwhile, the number of Americans filing applications for unemployment benefits increased more than expected last week, so some softness in the labor market. There was also bad news this week in the housing market. As I've mentioned before, housing is something of a leading indicator in the economy, and of course, it's particularly sensitive to interest rates. Even with the Powell pause in place, new home sales fell 6.9% in January to a seasonally adjusted annualized rate of 607,000 homes. That was down from December's revised rate of 652,000 units. According to consensus forecasts, economists were expecting sales of around 622,000 units. So again, another number below expectations. Here's how one news report put it. Economists have been watching the housing sector very closely as it has been a significant drag on the U.S. economy. Rising home prices, along with rising mortgage rates, have priced many new home buyers out of the market. 
Here's another interesting tidbit that should give you pause. Last week, the Dow Transports wrapped up 11 straight days of declines. That hasn't happened since 1971. And the last time the transports fell 10 straight days was in 2009 during the Great Recession. So here's another sign the economy in America is not that great. I just don't see how Powell and all of these pundits can keep saying the U.S. economy is so strong. All we have to do is look in the crawl space and we can see the rot in the foundation. Heck, GDP estimates right now for Q1 are below 1%. And yet we're told to expect around 3% growth for this year. This doesn't even make sense. Here's the truth. They don't want to admit the real problem is right here in the good old U.S. of A. The Fed can't raise rates because we have too much debt, thanks to the Fed. It kept interest rates so low for so long. We borrowed so much money that it's impossible to normalize interest rates because we have an abnormal amount of debt. And as Peter keeps saying over and over, what Powell is ultimately going to have to do is go back to quantitative easing. The deficits are so big and air is coming out of this bubble. We're going to have to buy even more bonds. The balance sheet is going to get a lot bigger. In fact, we're going to have to cut interest rates back to zero. They have not let that cat out of the bag yet. I want to take a moment and touch on silver before I close out the show. The white metal is trading at about 1546 this morning. More significantly, the silver-gold ratio is still above 84 to 1. That ratio hit a quarter-century high last fall, topping 86 to 1, and it's continued to hover in that range ever since. As I have said before, this is, in effect, silver on sale. Or more precisely, it indicates silver is undervalued compared to gold. Consider that the historical average is somewhere closer to 40 to 1. I saw a recent Kitco News interview with a mining CEO. Wheaton Precious Metals Chief Randy Smallwood said he sees a lot of upside in silver. First off, he noted that silver has always lagged gold in terms of response. If gold starts moving, silver will move, but it takes a while to get there. So if you're bullish on gold, and given the economic dynamics we've been talking about, I think you probably should be, then you should also be bullish on silver. But beyond that, Smallwood said the fundamentals for silver look really good right now. Quote, because of the increase in the industrial demand, the high efficiency electronics that we all demand in terms of mobility. He said silver will continue to see higher demand, which will eventually be reflected in its price. Smallwood went on to say, quote, we've hit peak silver a long time ago in terms of production, so we've got declining overall production worldwide combined with increasing industrial demand. It's a better fundamental argument, end quote. For more information on what's going on with both silver and gold, I highly recommend that you talk to a shift gold precious metal specialist today. They have all of the knowledge the latest data, everything you need to know, just call 1-888-GOLD-160. Well, that's a gold wrap for this week. You can get more details on all of these stories and more, and keep up with the latest precious metals news and analysis throughout the week at shiftgold.com news. 
Make sure you check out my latest It's Your Dime interview with Libertarian Car Guy Eric Peters. Even if you don't care anything about cars, it's still an interesting, fantastic discussion. We cover the Green New Deal, uh, electric cars, government fatwas, uh, all kinds of interesting stuff. So make sure you check that out. I'll link to it on the show notes page. If you haven't done it already, you can subscribe to the Friday Gold Wrap over at iTunes or on the Shift Gold YouTube channel. You'll find links on the show notes page. Again, I appreciate you listening, and I'll talk to you again next week.